Thank you so much. Amen. I am excited about preaching this morning. We're, we're going to go uh, in a new direction. We've been talking about giving, and I'm glad that it, we didn't make any of you mad during that. You all came back. You're all here, and you're all more generous than you've ever been, right? Good. Good. So we're going to take a turn. We're going to be talking about building. I love to build. Uh, been a builder for a long portion of my life. Ran a construction company for about 15 years in Texas. Was a bivocational as a pastor in Texas. And uh, have continued to build. I, I, I built a big building, a pretty good sized building, 70 some odd feet by 36 feet in Eau Claire, Wisconsin last year for a church. Uh, remodeled, when I was in Minnesota, remodeled uh, all of our kids' ministry facilities. And uh, I'm currently building, if you didn't know this, probably do. Most of y'all probably have been to the house slinging mud with me. Thank you, by, by the way, guys, that, those of you that have been coming out. And, and Gal, Eileen, thank you for coming. She painted yesterday. Thank you all very much for coming. But I, I do enjoy building when I don't have to do it every single day and grind for a living. It's fun. I, I, I really consider it a hobby when I get to do it like this help churches out, build for my family. It's fun. But, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about building, and the, the Bible has a, a lot to say about ruins. We're, we're going to look at, uh, we're going to be looking at the life of Nehemiah. We're going to be studying the book of Acts as well. Really, really probably for the first quarter. I sat down with Pastor Bill the other day, and we've talked about some of our plans for preaching. And we're, we're going to be laying foundation. We're going to uh, talk about building uh, in the kingdom, the church, building our lives and our walks. Uh, with Jesus, uh, strong foundation, building principles, the things that we need, uh, our, our values being framed in our life. Hosea said that, uh, he, he prophesied to the priest, he said, your, your lives are destroyed because you, refru- you, you refuse to frame your doings, right? They, they, they refuse to frame up absolute value in, in their life, to, to have convictions, to, to have principles that they live their lives by, and so their lives are being destroyed because of that. Building is, is really, really important. And I believe God is calling us in this day, I alluded to it in our, in our transition, America really is in ruins in a lot of ways. The American church is in ruins. And it was with a group of people last night, I said, I think that God has really take, taken the wrecking ball to the church. Demolition. Sometimes we, we went into this house that we, we just purchased, and we, we spent, I didn't think it was going to take this long, but we spent almost two weeks doing demo, just pulling stuff out that was not right, that, you know, wasn't done well, so on and so forth in this, this home. Uh, we destroyed a fireplace. We took a wall out, you know, trim that wasn't done right, so on and so forth. We, we had to demo the stuff that wasn't right before we could go back and build uh, and, and, and make it a, you know, a home that we wanted to, to live in. So sometimes you got to tear some stuff out. And I see that's what I think God has done really in the church. We, we have this raw show of building now to go back and finish out to, to, to repair and to rebuild but uh, it, it seems like 2020 was a year of really demolition, a lot of things being pulled down. Um, God said to the prophet Jeremiah, he said, I, I, I've called you to be a prophet of the nations. You will, you will go, you will pull down, you will destroy, you will uproot, and then you will build and plant. Before you can build and plant, you've got some things that have got to be uh, pulled down and uprooted, uh, the things that are bad plumbing, bad electrical work, right? Bad framing, whatever it is, you've got to pull all that bad stuff up before you can build something. You've got to pull the weeds out of a garden before you can plant uh, the, the fruit, right? And so um, we really have seen that. I believe that, that the year 2021 is going to be for the church a year of building. 
Not only is it going to be a year of building, it's going to be a year of battling. I, I honestly don't anticipate that 2021 is going to be a whole lot better than 2020. I expect more political upheaval. I expect more economic downturn. I, I expect a lot of bad things. But like I said in the segue, the enemy always overplays his hands. He, he pushes further than he should. He takes things further than he, than he should go. And God uses that and turns it around for his glory. All the demolition that's been going on, the enemy has been trying to, to wreck lives and wreak havoc. God's been using him to set up what he wants to do. And I, I believe this. I believe we're going to see transfer of wealth from the wicked to the righteous this year. I believe that God is going to give the church great vision and he's going to fund that through, on the back of the wicked. I believe that the wealth of the world is coming to the church and that the kingdom is going to be advanced through that. I believe that. That's what God's going to do. He's going to turn all of this around for his glory. But we, the church, have to be ready to build and we have to be ready to battle, right? They, uh, Nehemiah and, and his team, they, they, all, all of Israel, they had a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other, the Bible tells us. Right? They, they had to keep their defenses up as they were building the walls. Sanballat and Tobiah, they came to, to taunt them and torment them. The enemy's going to raise his head. He's going to try to intimidate us, but we've got to keep the sword in one hand and keep working with the trowel. Amen? We, we've got to be ready to build, and we've got to be ready to battle this year. We, we may be in ruins, but we're heading towards a revival. We're going to see an awakening in the church. We're going to see a revival in the United States of America this year. What we've, been, what we've been talking about, what we've been praying about, I believe we're going to see fulfillment of it this year. That God is going to, that we're going to see the greatest move, the, 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 the third great awakening, if you will, in the United States of America. I believe we were, we were already rolling into that last year, and we're going to see more and more of it. But it will not be uh, church as usual. We're going to have to change some things. Things are going to have to be shaken up. What should the 21st century church look like? I believe the 21st century church should look like the first century church. That's why we're pushing for prayer meetings. That's why we're pushing for life groups, house-to-house -house ministry. The church needs to look more like the, the church that we see in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. Not, not the megachurch, and I'm not anti-megachurch. Big churches are great. I believe the megachurches are going to get bigger than they've ever been. But I also believe we've got to get down on that, that, that ground, grassroots level and build the, the life groups, the connect groups, the Bible studies, the, the, those interpersonal connections, you know, with social dissonance. It, it, it's hard to figure out how we can have church. It's hard to gather as a large, if you look at the megachurches, they're at 30% capacity. I was, I was watching one this morning, and they were at 30% capacity. A large church, one of the most prominent churches in America, they had 30% capacity in their building. They, they showed a, a pan view of the church, and there were only 30% of the chairs that were full. It's going to be more difficult for us to meet in large gatherings. We, we need to continue to persevere and do everything that we can do to make that happen. But we can have a whole lot of success in the small group setting, in a life group. So let, let's get into this. I want to I begin to lay some foundation. We're going to talk about a burden to build this morning, a burden to build. Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 3 through 4, we're going to read. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. It says, They said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the providence are there in great distress and reproach. God always does great things when people are in his people. 
are in distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. And so it was when they heard these words that I sat down, this is Nehemiah, he said, I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was praying and fasting, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah is the cupbearer serving before King Artaxerxes. By, by the way, this passage of, of scripture, well, in, in the verses that follow, what, what's going to happen, Artaxerxes is going to notice that, that Nehemiah has cupbearer. And th this was, Nehemiah is in it, we need to understand this, he's in a place of comfort. I'm going to talk to our leaders on Thursday night about getting out of their comfort zone. Nehemiah was in a place of comfort. He was in a place of privilege. He was in a place of authority as the cupbearer. He was in the king's courts. He, he had privileges. He had a good life. He was comfortable. He had a great job. He, he, he was eating the best food on the planet. He would, that's why he's called the cupbearer. He would drink the king's wine and eat his food before he ate it to make sure that there was no poison in it. He had a job with a lot of cushy privileges. But when he heard about the ruins of his home, of the city of Jerusalem, his heart got heavy and he was overwhelmed with a burden that, that drove him to sit down and weep and mourn for many days. And it put him into fasting and praying about what he had heard. And God gave Nehemiah a burden to go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Artaxerxes, the king, he would recognize that Nehemiah was downcast. It was, a, like, like I said, it was a place where he had privileges. It was usually a place where people were, were content and had joy in that position. But he noticed that Nehemiah was, was, was downcast, and he asked him, what's wrong? And he tells him, I've heard that the city of my father's is in ruins. How can I have joy? when the city lies in waste. And so Artaxerxes actually allows Nehemiah to go and rebuild the city walls of Jerusalem, to go back and rebuild that city. And not only does he give, give him the permission of that, he, he, he signs a decree and puts his signet, puts his mark on that, that gives Nehemiah authority to the royal supplies. Whatever Nehemiah would need to go back and build, rebuild those walls, it was given to him by King Artaxerxes. Now, historically, this is a very significant, this is actually, this date, you can actually find this in the Encyclopedia Britannica. For those of you that so use the Encyclopedia Britannica. This is a historical date. And Nehemiah, or Daniel would later prophesy, that, and he would say from that date where Artaxerxes put his signet on that decree to, to uh, the time that Jesus would come and present himself as the prince, it, it, th there's a, a very specific time period. It's 70 weeks. And we think of weeks as seven days, but it's a week of years that, that Daniel was prophesying, prophesying about. In other words, seven years, 70 weeks of years, or 70 times seven, 490 years, Daniel would prophesy and say they are determined. And then he would, he, he would say that, that from the time of that decree until Jesus would show up would be exactly 69 weeks or 483 years. 
Do you know when Jesus rode in on Palm Sunday? To the date. You can go and do the historical research. To the date. It was 483 years from that day that, that, that Artaxerxes gave the decree to Nehemiah to go and rebuild the city walls of Jerusalem. That's how dead on God is with prophecy. Nehemiah would prophesy that over 400 years before Jesus shows up, that on this date he's going to show up and present himself as the prince of Israel. You think about that. And then there's one week yet to be determined. That's where we, we always hear about the seven years. We talk about tribulation, all these things. We're not going to have that discussion today. If you want to figure that out, go sit with Brother Howard and Brother Mike in their class. They'll tell you how that's all going to play out, right? <laughs> But it's very, very, that, that's how specific God was with this prophetic timetable. It's a, it's a pretty amazing thing. As we look at the life, the, the story of Nehemiah, it, it's a story, it starts with great provision. Artaxerxes gives him the provision of supplies, what he would need to go and rebuild the cities. It, it, you see, we see great workers in this story. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. He also, Nehemiah and, and uh, those who were rebuilding the walls meet great opposition. But they persevered and they had great success. You, you, look, think about this. It took them 52 days to rebuild the city walls. It's an amazing. If you ever go and see the, those structures, I've never been there, but if, if, if you look at that, it's an absolutely miraculous thing that those city walls were rebuilt in 52 days. How did they do that? God's favor was, was with them. And the people had a heart to work. We're going to talk about that in just a second. And then there was a great reward. You think about that, the, the, the completion, of re, the restoration of the city of Jerusalem. Great provision, great workers, great opposition, great success, great reward. But it all begins with a great burden. This would have never happened if Nehemiah hadn't have gotten a burden for the city of Jerusalem. Jesus also had a burden for the city of Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 13, it's where we see it. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to desolate, to, to, to you desolate, and assuredly, I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is Jesus weeping over the city of Jerusalem, who has constantly rejected God and, and, and his word, rejecting the prophets. And Jesus is here weeping. How many times I wanted to gather you together? How many times I wanted you to be my people? And yet you have rejected it. And Jesus is weeping. The Bible says at one point that Jesus set his face like flint towards Jerusalem. Jesus had a, burn, a burden. There was an assignment that he had received. And in prayer and in fasting, God put a burden in his heart for that, for that uh, people, the people of Jerusalem. You think about that. But God gave Nehemiah a burden to rebuild the city not only that, when Nehemiah went, we're going we're to get into this over the next months. We're going to be looking at this. But when, when Nehemiah went, there were a people that joined him in that burden. 
Listen to this in, uh, let's see, where's that? Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6, it says, We built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half of its height, for the people had a mind to work. The people had a mind to work. Do you, do you find serving in the church to be burdensome? Sometimes we, all of us have gotten to that point. This is just a burden to me. I don't have time for this. It's, I've got kids. I've got, they got soccer. We've got this. We've got the third job, whatever it is. I, I don't have time for the church. They, they just use me, right? We pray. I, I say this all the time, but we, we pray, Lord, use me. And then we, the pastor asks us to do something. And then we say, man, I feel so used. <laughs> right? When serving becomes a burden to us, we're in a dangerous place. Something in our walk is out of sorts. Something's missing. If, if we have a burden, then serving won't be a burden. When it's your passion, when it's what drives you, when you're like Jesus, you have your, your face set like flint, flint toward, towards it, it's a whole other thing. The way they rebuilt these walls, the Bible says that every man built the portion of the wall that was closest to his house. Every man in Jerusalem was working on this project. That's how they did it in 52 years, or 52 weeks. Uh, every man was involved in this. I want to tell you that the work that God's calling the church to, it, it's not for Pastor Chad. It's not for Miss Rachel. It's not for Pastor Bill. It's not for Ted and the team that goes to do the outreach. It's for all of us. We should all be picking up stones and slinging the mortar and putting the stones in place. We all need to have a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other, every single one of us. And if you're discouraged from serving, I've done that for 20 years. It's what we call burn rocks. Burnt rocks. I'm burnt out. I've been in the nursery for 20 years. I've been an intercessor. I've led prayer teams for 20 years. I've been the worship leader for 20 years. They make me preach every Sunday for the last 20 years. If we get burnt out, God wants to restore you. Do you know what they actually rebuilt the city walls of Jerusalem with? The burnt rocks. God wants to reuse you. He wants to repurpose you. He wants to set you back on the wall. Amen. Don't get burnt out. You, you've got, we've got to keep this thing fresh. How, how do we do that? We've got to come to a place, I believe, of prayer and of fasting. I, I want to read one more pas passage, and we're going to move on to that. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. Jesus was traveling through all the towns and villages of, of, of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, listen, listen, look, look at this, he had compassion on them. Those of you that are tired of serving in the church, you need to get compassion for the people that you go to church with. You need to get a burden for the lost. You need God to turn your hearts towards them. Jesus had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but check this out, the workers are few. We've got plenty of spectators in the church, We've got some entertainers in the church. We don't have a whole lot of workers. The Lord's looking for workers. So pray to the Lord, he says, who is in charge of the harvest. 
and ask him to send more workers. That needs to be our prayer. We need to pray, Lord, send more workers. I'm tired of doing the outreach alone. Send more workers. I'm tired of not having enough people on the U team. Send more workers. I'm, not tired, I'm tired of not having enough musicians. Send more workers. We need to pray that. That needs to be our prayer. And then we also need to pray, say, Lord, here am I. Send me. Let me be a part of that crew that comes to serve. Let me be a part of that crew that's working in your kingdom. I want to be a part of that. That needs to be a part of that prayer. But we, we need to move towards prayer. We talked about that a little bit last week, I think, in the, that generosity series about how you know, the things we don't do in the church, we don't give, we don't pray, we don't fast, we don't witness. Why in the church don't we pray? Why is the church a prayerless people? We've got to move towards prayer. We've got to move as Nehemiah. You will never get a burden until you get a prayer life. You'll never have a heart for the lost until you get a prayer life. They'll just frustrate you. Your coworkers that are cussing around you all the time are just going to frustrate you until you get a prayer life and begin to put them before the Lord in prayer. When you see things broke down and, and worn out and uh, in ruins and in rubble, it's just going to frustrate you until you begin to pray. We've got to pray towards these things. Prayer connects us to God, right? Prayer, prayer connects us to God. It, it, it helps us to see his perspective. That, that's, the, that's the reason Satan hates prayer. Satan despises it when, when God's people pray. You, know, you want to know Why? Because it elevates you above his lies. All the garbage, all of the CNN, all the Fox News, and all the, the junk that he's spitting at you, that's distracting you. If you'll shut all that out and pray, you'll be lifted up over that, and you'll be able to see what God's actually seeing about the situation. And you'll see what God's doing and what God's got planned. You'll get heaven's vantage point whenever you pray. You'll get a download from the Holy Spirit that says, don't despair. Don't get too worried about that. I've got that. Don't get so worried about those people cussing at work. I've put you there so you can be a witness. He'll show you while you're, why you're there and what he's up to if you'll just begin to pray. It'll, it'll connect you to God's vantage point. Prayer connects us to God. But prayer needs to be coupled with fasting. Few Christians pray, even fewer fast. That's the reality. Prayer connects us to God, but fasting disconnects us to God. We need to learn to pray and to fast. Learning to pray. How do we learn to pray? We, we could teach about prayer. We could do seminars on prayer. But prayer is more like this. We, I was doing a, a discipleship group uh, on the, the University of Texas, or Texas State University in San Marcos, Texas. I, had, I did this every semester, and I had a group of, of people in one of their, their lecture halls, and I was teaching. And, and th this young lady, whatever I was teaching, she said, she said, I get it. She said, it's kind of like the difference between book smarts and street smarts. I said, Exactly. You got it. This is a girl that, that she grew up in the streets in Houston, the roughest neighborhood in, in Houston, and she got it. The difference between book smarts and street smarts. So you can study some stuff in a book, but until you've been in that battle, you don't really, you don't really get it, right? 
That's the same thing with prayer. You, you can read about prayer. You can study prayer. We can diagram it and dissect it and diagnose it and prescribe it and prescript it and all, the, all these things about prayer. But we just got to get down on our knees and do it. We just got to get to our, 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 our secret place of thunder into our prayer closet. You've got to get alone with God. You don't learn through prayer through a sermon. You learn prayer through trials, through walking with God, through a relationship with God. That's where you learn prayer. You can learn the principles of prayer through a sermon, but the only way you can learn the practice of prayer is by doing it. That's the reality. There's a difference between knowledge and training, right? You can go, if you're in an athletic program, you can read the playbook. You can, you can watch the, 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 the footage, but you've got to get out on the field and put it into practice, right? So how are we going to learn to pray? Yeah, we need to read what Jesus said about prayer. We need to learn what the teachers, the, the scriptures teach about prayer, but we need just to get about praying. That's how you're going to pray. And the more you pray, the more you're going to want to pray. That's a reality. Learn to pray. Right? Pray without ceasing is what the Bible says about it. Listen to this quote. This is a, an old preacher. His name was R.A. Torrey. He says, we, we don't live in a praying age. Now, this is in 1924. We do not live in a praying age. We live in an age of hustle and bustle, of man's efforts and man's determination, of man's confidence in himself and in his own power to achieve things, an age of human organization and, and human machinery, human push, human scheming, human achievement. In the things of God, this means no real achievement at all. Think about that. All the busyness. How many jobs do you have? How many more do you need? How much harder do you have to work to get things done? And yet, we're unfruitful. We're still broke. Three jobs and still don't have enough money. What's wrong? Something's missing. We have lost our reliance on God. We put our trust and confidence in our flesh. We've got to move away from this. How are we going to break that cycle? How are we going to break the cycle? I, I've learned the, the best way to break anything is by fasting. The Holy Spirit dealt with me a long time. He said, you'll, you'll never get rid of your sexual desire, all that lust. You'll never get rid of your greed and desire for money and, and power and fame. You'll never, you know, get, get control over the alcohol and the smoking and all this stuff until you learn how to fast. The writer in Timothy, he says, their, 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 their bellies will be their gods. Our appetite's controlling us. Right? We're asking God for things, and he said, the reason I don't give them to you is because uh, you're you, you asking for the wrong things, and then uh, the, 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 when, when you, you, do, you do ask, you're asking so that you can consume it in your own lusts. Yes. It's our human ambition, our human lust, our human aspirations that, that is causing us to request these things from God. And he says, that's the reason I'm not giving them to you. Fasting is a discipline, it's a part of our Christian walk that brings us, it, it, will, it will break off all of the things of the world, all of the appetites, all of the desires. It teaches a discipline. When you learn how to control your stomach, you'll stop cussing. 
It's about bringing your flesh under subjection. You, if you can learn to control your stomach, that, that sexual problem you, you keep having, you'll be able to bring it under control. The desire for alcohol, the, whatever it is, power, whatever, whatever it is that's driving you and consuming you, you're never going to see that thing break until you learn how to fast. Over this next quarter, we're, we're going to go deep into that. We're going to look at fasting. We're going to look at prayer. But we need to learn to pray and to fast. Fasting aligns our hearts with God's heart. Fasting will crush all of our selfish desires, all of our self-centeredness, all of our ego. When we humble ourselves physically, we humble our bodies by fasting. See, what, what you do in the physical, they're, they're, it parallels the spiritual. You know what happens whenever I fast? My senses are heightened. I smell the cheeseburger 10 miles away. <laughs> right? When, as, surely, as surely as you start fasting, your friend is going to bring your favorite food to work. <laughs> Cubicle next door. And our senses are heightened whenever we fast. Whenever you're hungry, your senses are heightened. God built us that way. Why? So that we could smell the food. So that we could see the food. Our, our eyesight, this is truth. Our eyesight is keener when we're hungry. Our senses, all of our senses are heightened when we're hungry. And when we get hungry for the things of God, what happens in the natural happens in the spiritual. Our spiritual, when we are hungry for the things of God and we have no more appetite for the things of the world, when we're hungry and thirsting after him, we will be filled with the righteousness of God. Our spiritual senses will be, we, you will hear things when you fast that you ordinarily don't hear from the Lord. Your spiritual senses are heightened whenever you fast. And it's not, it's, this is not a diet, by the way. A diet will change the way that you look. But a fast will change the way that you see. It will change you deep down to the core of your being when you truly know, not to go through some religious exercise where you brag to your friends about, I'm fasting for three days. Jesus tells us not to do that. When you fast, keep it to yourself. Wash your face and act like it's a normal day. Don't brag about it, because Jesus says when you brag about it, you've got your reward. But if you'll do it in private, I'll reward you openly. This is the teaching of Jesus. We've got to learn prayer and fasting. We're going to dive into this. This is going to be part of that strong foundation we're going to lay in building over the next few months. Prayer and fasting. I want to move our church towards prayer and fasting. We're, we're going to push these things. We're, we're, I'm, I'm going to pray. I'm going to bring Brother Howard. I'm going to bring David uh, Spicer and David Egan down here in a minute. We're going to pray over these guys because they're helping to launch prayer groups. And we're going to make a push for that in this church. We need to learn to pray and fast. Let me, let me wrap up. By, I want to talk about Jeremiah's burden. Look, at, this is in the book of Lamentations. It's a happy book to read. Lamentations chapter 2, verse 11. He says, I've cried until the tears no longer come. And my heart is broken. My spirit is poured out in agony as I see the desperate plight of my people. What a burden. What a burden. May God cause his people 
to look at those around, to look at our nation and have this kind of a burden for them. Where it's agony. We can't stand to see them in their sin any longer. Give us a burden for the lost. Give us a burden for the down and out. Give us a burden for the brokenhearted. Give us a burden for our cities that are in ruins, for faltering businesses, for hospital systems that are failing. We go down the long list. Give us a burden when we see all the, the bankruptcy that's around us. Give us a burden, God. Daniel, this, this book of Lamentations, it's, it's Daniel's lament about the ruins. This is, this is right after Babylon came and carried Israel off as hostages. This is what landed Nehemiah in Artaxerxes' courts. Israel was carried away into captivity under Babylonian, the Babylonian Empire. And after the wreckage, Jeremiah prophesied prior to that captivity. And he, 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 God spoke to him and he told the people to repent, to turn from their sins and their wickedness or judgment was going to come upon Jerusalem. They refused to hear Jeremiah's preaching. And so God judged them. And so this, this book of Lamentations, it's Jeremiah sitting around in the rubble and the ruins of that city, weeping over that city. Listen to what he says about what it looked like. Lamentations chapter 2, verse 1. The Lord in his anger has cast a dark shadow over, shadow over beautiful Jerusalem. The fairest of Israel's cities lies in the dust, thrown down from the heights of heaven. In this day of great anger, in his day of great anger, the Lord has shown no mercy even to his temple. Without mercy, the Lord has destroyed every home in Israel. In his anger, he has broken down the fortress walls of beautiful Jerusalem. He has brought them to the ground, dishonoring the kingdom and its rulers. Verse 6, he says, He has broken down his temple as though it were merely a garden shelter. The Lord has blotted out all memory of the holy festivals and Sabbath days. Kings and priests fall together before his fierce anger. The Lord has rejected his own altar. He despises his own sanctuary. He has given Jerusalem's palaces to his enemies. They shout in the Lord's temple as though it were a day of celebration. Chapter 2, verse 8. The Lord has determined to destroy the walls of beautiful Jerusalem. He made careful plans for, her, for their destruction. Then he did what he had planned. Therefore, the ramparts and the walls have fallen down before him. Jerusalem's gates have sunk into, their, into the ground. He has smashed their locks and bars. Her kings and princes have been exiled to distant lands. Her law has ceased to exist. Her prophets receive no more visions from the Lord. The leaders of, the be of, of beautiful Jerusalem sit on the ground in silence. They are clothed in burlap and throw dust, dust on their heads. The young women of Jerusalem hang their heads in shame. Why, why do I take the time to read those scriptures to you this morning? I believe it's a parallel to where we are today. This is where we're at. We need a burden for our city that's in ruins. May the Lord open our eyes to see the realities of what's really around us. Here's the truth that I've come to understand. You will never reach your city until you wept over it. 
We'll never reach anybody till we have a burden for them. What do we need? What does the church need in this day? We need a burden for the lost. We pastored in San Marcos, Texas for nine years. We moved there. We, we, we planted a church. We started in our living room. We were there for 14 months in our living room before we moved out to our first public building. In that season, every Friday night, we would go to the, a place called The Square, downtown San Marcos, capital, the old, or the old courthouse in the middle of, of, of that square, bars, pizzerias, arcades, coffee shops, where the college kids would come to hang out. We went there every Friday night with tracks. We would go there. We would do everything we could to get the message of the gospel out to people. I remember one day I was standing on the street corner right in the middle of the square. People are, it was the busy time of the night, probably about 1030 in the evening, and people are flying by, and I'm as fast as I can passing out tracks and trying to get, engage somebody. And I see, as, I, as I'm doing this, I see out of the corner of my eye this young lady coming from across the street. And I keep passing out the tracks, and she gets to me, and I take a track, and I go to hand it to her. When I looked at her, she was looking at me. Perversion was all over her. This, this, this young lady was ready to go home with me. This, this young lady was not there. I don't know what she was on, but she was stoned out of her mind. Beautiful young lady, probably not 20 years old. Somebody's daughter at the university who'd lost her way, was not there. I went home that night and just cried. That, that was the night. I'll never forget that. That was actually before we even moved to San Marcos. The, the, the night that I'm talking about was before we even moved to San Marcos. And it put a burden in my heart for that city, for that university, for those college students. It, it's what would drive me for nine years to try to work to build the, a church there, to go to the university campus every semester and, and, and do life groups and to reach out to the students that were there. God gave me a burden in that moment. In those early days, we, we had a, a Bible study every Friday night at our church. After we moved beyond the outreach, we, we had Bible studies in our church. And, and I, I would remember we, we, we would stay, we'd, we'd study the Bible, and then we'd stay and eat. And we'd, we'd stay way too late. It'd be almost midnight when we'd go home. I remember we'd go to the grocery store. Our, our, Noah and Nate were just little kids at this time. And we would stop at the grocery store to pick up milk or something on the way home. And I would go through the grocery store and get what I'd need. And I would come to the register to pay. And I would see the college students lined up with their beer five or ten minutes before they were going to stop selling. So they were stocking up for the night. And I remember just standing in the front of the grocery store after I'd paid for my groceries, and the tears just coming down my cheeks. That's burden. It's what kept us there. It's what kept us there when we couldn't afford to keep our lights on in our own home. Had to make a decision, are we going to pay the, the, the water bill today or are we going to get diapers? It's what kept us in the hardship. We had a burden for what God called us to. Without burden, we'll fall away. How do we get a burden? Burden is born in prayer. Burden is when our heart is moved 
It comes to us when our heart is moved and we sit down before God and weep. And it moves us like it moved Nehemiah to a place of fasting and prayer. Burden will move you out of your comfort zone. You'll give up the comfy life in the palace to go back to the rubble and raise up the work of God. That's what burden does for us. Amen. Church, let's stand together. May God give us burden. I I could stand up here right now and I could hype you all up. And I could try to conjure up and stir up some things in you and the the emotion of a burden. And what I've said is heavy and it's weighing on you right now. But if we did that, we'd walk out of here and our lives probably would just be the same. Here's what I want to implore you to do. Go to your closet and pray. Get down on your knees. Get up beside your bed And get into the presence of God and say, Lord, create your heart in me. I've been doing this thing my way long enough. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want my heart to ache over the things that cause your heart to ache. I want to rejoice over what you rejoice about. I want to see your perspective. I need your outlook, Lord. I've done this my way long enough. Amen. Brother Howard, can you come down, David? Is David Spicer here this morning? I want to pray over these gentlemen. And I want us to pray. Is that oil? I think it is. Pastor Bill and Liz, would you come stand behind these gentlemen? I don't know why I'm sensing this, but Brother Bobby, I want you to come up here. Thank you, Jesus. I want you to pray over these guys. Church, I want to encourage you. Come on Thursday night. Come at noon and join Howard. And if you're interested, we, 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 I want groups every, every day of the week. If you're interested in leading one of those groups, come and see me. You can do it at any time during the day. You can do an early morning group, a lunchtime group, an evening group. I just want prayer here every day in our house. Amen. I want to pray over these guys. Talked to them the other day about this. What they're doing is important. Amen. I pray what they've, David Egan was really back in October. The Lord burdened him with this, him and David Spicer. So they've taken this initiative really on their own. This is something that's in my heart. Brother Howard stepped up. Amen. Church, we need a position to pray. Amen. I'm going to pray over these gentlemen. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I just lift up Howard before you. Lord, I pray renewed strength to him, Lord God. Give him vigor and vitality, Lord God. Lord, just sharpness in his mind, oh God, just a a spiritual aptitude. That, Lord, he would hear your voice, that he would know your heart. Father, I pray that you would surround him with others that would join him on this Wednesday lunchtime prayer, Lord God. That there would be a team built around him, Lord God. Lord, that you would use him, Lord God, to, Lord, just to cover this house and 
all the people of this house, the leadership of this house. Lord, that we would, Lord, have a great net over us, Lord God, a, a prayer. Lord, that that would root us and give us strength and stability as a church, Lord God. Lord, when the enemy has plans, Lord, I pray that we can war to see those plans stopped and brought to nigh. Father, I thank you for that. I give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Lord, let an anointing be upon Howard to lead this team, oh God. Father, I pray for David right now. Representative of David Spicer as well, Lord God. Lord, I just pray that you would continue to stir in them, Lord God. Lord, I pray that you continue to, to grow them in this area, Lord God, that the burden would continue in their hearts, oh God, that whenever anyone's hurting, Lord God, that they would be able to lift them in prayer. When anyone is broken, Lord God, that they would see it, Lord God, and they would bring them before your throne. Lord, I thank you, Lord. Make intercessors out of them, Lord God, that would uphold your people, that, it would, that they would stand in the gap for those who are lost and those who are losing their way. Father, we thank you. Lord, I pray for Mary right now in Jesus' name. I pray for Cindy. Lord, and I just pray that you would strengthen them, oh God. Father, I just pray that you would make Thursday night a great night of gathering in this house, oh God. We thank you for it. We give you praise for it. Father, I pray that you would stir in all of us, oh God. Stir in every one of us in this house, oh God. Lord, that the, prayer, the spirit of prayer and intercession would be upon us, oh God. Father, that we would be a people of burden. That we would be a people with a heart for the lost. That we would have a sensitivity, Lord, that we would... Lord, because we've been in your presence, that, that our, our senses would be receptive and we can recognize what's going on in situations and circumstances. We can recognize what is going on in people's lives, oh God. And we can step in and we can bring hope, help, ministry. Father, that we would have a sens sensitivity and a discernment about us, we your people, that we could flow, Lord, like never before and move with your spirit. Father, I thank you for it. Hallelujah. Lord, help us that we would not end up like Jerusalem, that we wouldn't miss the day of your visitation. But Lord, that we would hear your word and we would make the appointments, the things that you have set for us, that we would not miss one. Father, I thank you for it. I give you praise for it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I just want to encourage you with this. We, we talk about a burden a lot, and it, it seems really heavy. But here's what I've experienced. Burden actually produces in us great joy. Our hearts can, we, we, we can feel that heaviness, and our hearts can be burdened. But, but as we move with God through those things, and we, we walk in the Spirit, it moves us. We, we see fruit from that burden. And it moves us to a place of joy. The worst thing I ever did in my life was move to San Marcos, Texas and plant a church. And the best thing that I, one of the best things that I've ever done in my life is move to San Marcos and plant a church. There was great burden in it, but it produced great joy, much fruit. I look back, I, I see on Facebook, these young men, they're, they're getting towards their thirties now. They're, they're serving in ministry, missions, youth pastors, worship leaders. To see these college students that grew up out of that, there's great joy. Amen? That's the end of the story. Nehemiah's story 
begins with great burden. It ends with great success, great reward, and great joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Amen? Praise God. Steve Manneke, I'm going to ask you to come.